Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're on Facebook Live or YouTube with us, either this morning live or sometime later, uh, thank you for finding us. Thank you for worshiping with us. You take your Bible too, and let's all open to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we started a new message series entitled, What God Expects of Everyday People, and we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Last week we started, and uh, we did the first three. I I told you, I reminded you that uh, traditionally the Ten Commandments are broken down into two different sections, or what they often call two tables. The first table has four commandments, laws that govern our relationship with God, right? And then the second table, the, the, the last six are commandments that regulate our relationships with other people, with one another. Yes. So last week we did the first three. Today I want us to do commandment number four. This is a commandment regarding the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I wanted to spend one week and do this this particular commandment in particular because uh, it is the one of all of the ten, it's the one probably most transformed and deepened by the work of Jesus. Now, you just got to understand that the Ten Commandments, I said this last week, the Ten Commandments point us to salvation and life in Christ. They were never given as a way of salvation. Uh, keeping the Ten Commandments is not a way of ensuring that you go to heaven. It, it, it's nothing to do with that. That's not what the Ten Commandments are for. The Ten Commandments, like everything else in the Old Testament, is there to point us to Christ. It points us to Jesus. Now, the fourth commandment, the one re- related to the Sabbath, as I said, is the one that Jesus most importantly deepens and transforms. So we got a lot more to talk about today, maybe even more than you've imagined coming in. So let's just jump in. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, going to read all 17 verses because we're memorizing it, right? (laughs) We are, actually. Uh, So work with me. We got weeks to do this, you all. I haven't really started really memorizing this yet, so we got some time. Uh, We got 10 commandments to get through, you all, so we got several Sundays. Just keep at it. Keep working with me. Uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so if you want to not get confused, you might try to follow me in the New Living, and that way you'll learn the same words I'm learning. So here we go. We're going to focus especially on verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. There are four verses that all have to do with uh, the commandment, the fourth commandment here. So just notice it's the longest commandment, the one with the most fine print, and we're going to jump into it. Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, 
your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Fourth commandment, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. If you don't listen to me, maybe you'll listen to Kanye West. Any Kanye fans in the house? Yeah? Awesome. Two of us. Um, Kanye is an interesting fellow, I, I admit, but he came out with a pretty good album right before COVID, probably 2019. He came out with a, the album called Jesus is King. It's phenomenal. It's really, really good. The first track on that album is called Closed on Sunday. I would sing it for you, but it's not really a song. I'd rap it for you, but it's not really a rap either. Uh, Kanye just kind of talks with music and drums behind him. Uh, but the, the lyrics are really, really interesting. That's why I encourage you to go track that song down and listen to it. He just says, Closed on Sunday. You're my Chick-fil-A. Closed on Sunday. You're my Chick-fil-A. But then the lyrics go on. He's talking, of course, about Chick-fil-A and the fact that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. Uh, actually, I think that's a remarkable thing, and we'll just let's stop and acknowledge that. One of the few companies in the world that would still make that choice, and it's a voluntary choice. Chick-fil-A closes on Sunday everywhere. Now, they are still one of the most successful and one of the most profitable fast food restaurants in human history, and they do all this without ever opening on Sunday. I really appreciate it, honestly. At the same time, if they were open on Sunday, I'd wear it out. I mean, you know, I mean, let's just be honest. If they were open on Sunday, like I've, you know, talking about Chick-fil-A makes me want Chick-fil-A. I'd be there today if, uh, if they were open, but, but, but they're not. Now, the reason that they're not goes back to exactly what I just read, but understand exactly why they don't open. If you, if, if you ever read on the, on, on the wall, in, if we ever get back inside of Chick-fil-A, y'all, we can look on the wall, and they have their principles written there, and one of the things they say is this principle of closing on Sunday, and they state that they do that for the benefit of their employees and their families. And that's very biblical. It's important, according to this fourth commandment, that you not work. But if you'll notice, there's more actual verses here, uh, uh, you know, undergirding this one commandment. And most of the emphasis is on the way that if you're in the position to release other people from work, you don't ask people to work for you on the Sabbath. And that's exactly true at Kathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. That's his philosophy. It's not that everybody that works at Chick-fil-A is a Christian who wants Sunday off. they got to go to church. No. But true at Kathy, as a godly man following this commandment, has made the deliberate choice to release people from work. And it says, you're not going to work, but your sons and daughters aren't going to work either. That means you can't sit on the couch and make your son mow the yard on Sunday and you tell yourself that you're not working. You know, you can't ask somebody else to do your work for you. Your male, your female servants, you know, like, like you can't like just say like, you know, we're not going to work in this house on Sunday, and yet your wife has to start cooking at six in the morning for this big Sunday dinner that you think you die without. 
You know, none of this works that way. And a good part of this passage has to do with the, the, the importance of releasing others from work. So that's sort of been Chick-fil-A's very countercultural position. And it's countercultural because there's nothing else in our culture that would have that kind of value. Again, a business is supposed to be in business for business, for, for profit. Do you know how much money they would make if they would be open on Sunday? I mean, do you have any idea how much money they're losing because of that choice? But obviously, Chick-fil-A is countercultural. They're not just in it for money. And, 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 and that's amazing, absolutely amazing. So Kanye, back to Kanye. Y'all thought I forgot about Kanye. You're worried about Kanye. So back to Kanye. He's calling attention to the way that Chick-fil-A is countercultural in that way. So what follows in the rest of that song, the rest of that rap, is this incredible message about the importance of thinking like that in your own life, in your own family. I mean, Kanye says, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to understand that you are not a slave to this culture. And that's hard for us. If you're going to follow Jesus and you have to, you know, grab hands with your family and, and pray together. I mean, that's what Kanye says. It's counter-cultural. You have to raise your sons and daughters differently. Take your sons, raise them in the faith, he says. I mean, it's an actually amazing song that is talking about the way we have to go against the grain of our culture. We do not belong to this world. And the fourth commandment and the way in which we understand this commandment is probably one of the ways that, that, that we can most distinguish ourselves as believers. But what does it mean? What does it mean? So you say, Pastor Jim, I'm glad you're preaching this because I think the whole world needs to, well, we, need to we need to be you know, honoring the Sabbath and get, and get back to the Sabbath. And I just think it's probably important for even those of us who think really strongly about this principle, we should probably stop and at least think biblically about it. For one thing, we would have to first off understand that we're sitting in this house on Sunday, and the actual command is about the Sabbath, which actually, from a Jewish perspective, is Saturday. I, I, technically, the Jewish Sabbath begins on Friday at sundown and goes through Saturday at sundown. So if, if you want to be technical and, and literal, the Sabbath is really you know, Friday night into Saturday night. That's the Sabbath. That's exactly what the fourth commandment commands. So the fact that we're already not doing that says something, and I want you to understand what it says is that the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus has deepened and transformed all of the Old Testament law, but very particularly this commandment. This commandment has been deepened because of Christ. We're going to interpret all of Scripture through Christ, who is himself the living Word of God, right? So if we're going to interpret and apply this commandment, we have to do it in terms of Christ. So that in itself helps us understand that we're not exactly going to keep this like the Jews keep this because we're not Jews, we're Christians. And it makes a difference. It really makes a difference. So let's just talk first about, in generally, what the Sabbath principle is. The Sabbath principle has to do with holiness or, or, or being set apart. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart for a purpose. And the scripture says that at the dawn of creation, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the seven-day week. Like, don't miss that. God created the seven-day week. 
Like we have a 24-hour day because of what? Because of the rotation of the earth, right? The way the earth turns in relation to the sun. The earth turns and that gives us a 24-hour day. You can try to drag it out. You can try to speed it up, but it's going to be 24 hours because of the sun and the earth. Now, a month is the same way, but only this time the month is determined by what? By the earth's relationship to the moon. Yeah, the moon's going around the earth, absolutely. So, so, so that's the difference there. And then a year is a year because of the earth's journey around the sun, right? So you have all of these categories of time that God has created, designed, and blessed. But it's the week that's most interesting. It's got seven days. Why? Because of the moon, the sun, the stars, the state of Utah. It has seven days because that's what God said. God established it. He baked it in the cake of creation. He worked for six days, and then he set aside another day and called it the Sabbath and said, this is a day for nothing but rest. The word Sabbath means to cease, to quit, to stop, to clock out. Understand? And so this seven-day week itself is created by God, and it's ordered by God so that we have six days for work, and one day for rest. And the scripture says God set that day apart. He set it apart as holy. So understand, setting apart one day out of seven reminds us that we ourselves are set apart by God. This is the Sabbath principle. God sets one day aside. So we are called to do the very same thing, to set a day aside, but it reminds us that we ourselves are set apart by God. Now what do I mean by that? I mean, we're set apart by God. I find my identity in him. He sets me apart, and so that tells me who I am. I am not of this world. I don't belong to this world. I don't think like the world. I'm not imitating the world. I'm imitating Christ. Now, the world itself is all about making money. The world is all about work, and you all know this. There was a time when you know, a factory, a company would never think of making people work on Sunday, but a lot of you now work at factories where it's four on, four off. I mean, your factory don't care what day it is. They don't, they don't care what day is holy to you. It's four on, four off. You, you understand? But we're different. We're different. We think of our time as belonging to God because we belong to God. We think of our work differently. Understand, I find my identity in the Lord. I find my purpose in the Lord. My purpose is not related to my work. I'm not valuable because of what I do. I'm valuable because God created me. God loves me and God says that I'm valuable. Understand, I find all of my purpose in him. And that's the beauty of this day where you just get to clock out. Now, some of you, like your blood pressure goes up. You're saying, Pastor Tim, I can't clock out. I can't. If I don't work, it don't get done, you know? I'm the boss, it's my company. Or, Pastor Jim, you don't understand, if I don't check my email you know, on Sunday, our whole department will fall apart, everything depends upon me. I mean, that's how we are. We like to think that everything depends upon us. Actually, I like to think that my job is really important. I like to think that I'm really important. You know, like, like people go to hell or heaven based on you know, how I do my job. I mean, I feel like it's really important. But y'all know the truth, don't you? If I die like tomorrow, y'all will have somebody standing here next week. I mean, just like that. You will replace me immediately. Jason Dunbar will have his feet on my desk like Monday. I mean, if I'm dead, boom. You know, my stuff will be on the sidewalk. I mean, 
Y'all know it's true. Don't look at me like, well, poor Pastor Tim. I mean, it's just true. And it's true for you too. You think that you're so indispensable. I'm telling you, you are dispensable. I am too. Because I'm not the center of creation. I am not the one that holds the world in my hands. It's God who holds the world in his hand. It's God and God alone who is irreplaceable. It's God and God alone who does not sleep or slumber. He doesn't have to, you understand? But it is God who keeps everything in motion. You're not God. And it doesn't all depend upon you. And just so that you remember that, God just wants you to set one day out of every seven. You understand? You just set one day aside and you just stop. And you just pay attention to how everything just keeps on going. Understand? You stop working, but the sun still comes up. You stop working, but, you know, lo and behold, your heart keeps on beating and everything goes along exactly as God said, because God is the one in control. You're not. It's actually a really fantastic principle. We can just cease our labor. We can just stop. And it's baked into creation. You're supposed to have a balance between work and rest. Now, I've said this like we're all workaholics, and I know we're not. So can I just say that it's a balance between work and rest? Like if what you do is like mostly just rest without actually ever working, that's not called rest. That's just being lazy. You know, you have to work and then you have to rest. It's a balance and you have to worship. And this is the Sabbath principle right here. Okay, y'all are nodding your heads like you agree with me, but let's just keep right on going. In the 1930s at Woodburn Baptist Church, <coughs> excuse me, in the 30s, uh, our church had several meetings, and uh, all, all of this is in our historical record. I, I, I could bring it out if you want to see it. Um, we, we drew up a document. Like, we put work into this. This is the 30s. I wasn't there. I'm saying we. Um, our church people, our grandparents in the church, uh, drew up this entire document condemning baseball playing on Sunday. I mean, it's, it, it's blistering, y'all. I mean, our church was making a stand, no baseball playing on Sunday. Some of us come from parents, grandparents, who taught us very strong principles of what could and could not be done on Sunday. And, and I'm in that category. I'm old enough to remember, y'all listen to Papa now, I'm old enough to remember when most stores weren't even open, like on Sunday, they just didn't even open. Restaurants didn't open. Uh, because people didn't shop, and, and they didn't do business. They didn't work on, on Sunday. You know, f- places of business were open, you know, Monday to, through Friday, and, and then just closed. And you wouldn't think of opening on Sunday. I remember the shock when the first department store in Bowling Green started being open on Sunday. And, and I mean, people lost their minds over that. Um, now, I understand that the generation now past me, it's just normal for you. The world just runs, you know. You know, just runs full time, you know, 24 7. There's no shutdown ever. Nothing ever ceases. Nothing ever clocks out. But, but I know that uh, for some of us, we still sort of mourn and grieve and, and, and think a lot about those days. Um, my yard right now is about this tall. Like, it's a true story. Um, I won't mow it today. It'd be a good day to mow, but I just won't. Um, 
I do not think it's a sin for me to mow my yard on Sunday. I'll, I'll say that, but I'll also have a really tender conscience about it. I feel like it's something I'm not supposed to do because I was raised and I was trained in the faith by people who absolutely would never have mowed the yard on a Sunday. Yeah. I, I still sort of have that in me. So how are we supposed to apply this commandment to our lives today as believers? Is it just about what we can and can't do on Sunday? Because I promise you, I promise you we're going to have to go a little bit deeper than that. And, and what we find out is probably not what we expect to discover. Let's just start with Jesus, why don't we? If Jesus is the living word of God, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, we're told in the Gospels. We know that Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the law. We know that Jesus never sins. We know that Jesus himself always kept the Sabbath perfectly. So I think we can pay attention to Jesus and what he says. And what we find out is Jesus actually had a lot of arguments over the Sabbath. He didn't start them. Who started them? Pharisees. The Pharisees were obsessed with this one commandment. Now, it's 10 commandments, and we're all into these, and I'm enjoying this study. I am. But this fourth commandment is the commandment that the Jews really drove hard. I mean, more than thou shalt not kill, more than thou shalt not commit adultery. I mean, the Sabbath law became the defining commandment for the Jewish people. So by the time the Jesus comes along. The Pharisees, I mean, they are, they are really over the top with, with rules around the Sabbath. It's not just the fourth commandment anymore. It's rule after rule after rule after rule regarding what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. And y'all, can I be so bold as to say they were crazy? Like they went crazy with it. I'm telling you the truth. The Pharisees would teach that you cannot spit on the Sabbath. I spit three times when I said that. Can you, did y'all know that? Because y'all are in the second row. Three times. Spit on the Sabbath. That you could not spit on the Sabbath. Do you know why? I'm telling you the truth. I don't have, I don't have to make weird stuff up because stuff's weird already. Um, the Pharisees taught that you must not spit on the Sabbath because if you spit on the ground, you could move dirt. You could move the dust. And if you move the dust, that's plowing. And so you have worked. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they literally said that. I mean, you couldn't spit because that would be plowing. So turn over to Mark chapter 2. Uh, I don't have it on the screen, just, just turn. Mark chapter 2, just one, one of these places where Jesus teaches on the Sabbath. Once more, he's in a controversy with the Pharisees because this is all they did was walk around and try to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. In this particular story, Jesus and his disciples are on the Sabbath, it's a gorgeous day, they're walking through a field of wheat, and Jesus and a couple of the disciples, as they're walking along, they just reach down and they, they pluck a couple of grains of wheat. They just pluck a couple of grains and pop them in their mouth. They're just walking, enjoying the day, you know? They just pluck a couple of grains, and the Pharisees have a cow, y'all. The Pharisees have a cow about that, because, I mean, now y'all can think like a Pharisee now. What would the Pharisees say about that? If you pick a single grain of wheat, what are you doing? Harvesting. Harvesting. In the Pharisees' mind, it wouldn't have been any worse if Jesus had climbed up in a combine and worked all day long. I mean, in their mind, they harvested. And Jesus knows that this is dumb, right? So what does Jesus say? Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. 
And people were not meant to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for people, Jesus says. People weren't made for the Sabbath. So uh, understand, if, if you're at that point of just arguing about what's forbidden or what's permitted on the Sabbath, you've already missed the point. This is what Jesus shows. If all you want to do is, is sort of debate over what, you know, can a preacher mow his yard on Sunday or, or not? Can, is it okay to eat in a restaurant on Sunday? Like if that's the level at which you're thinking about this commandment, you've already missed the point. Jesus refuses to have these arguments. Jesus refuses to have these debates over what's permitted and what's forbidden. Jesus just says, boys, the Sabbath was given as a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift to be received. It's not a burden to be born. It's not a chain around your neck. I mean, Jesus is trying to reteach the Pharisees, but they just don't get it because they love this. They just love to be the maker and the keeper of the rules. But, but that is not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of Jesus at all. Now continue with me. Jesus is teaching his example matters more than anything. And that's where Paul finds his perspective in Galatians, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Remember that Paul is in the position of sharing the gospel with Gentiles. And the earliest churches had Jews and Gentiles in the very same church. And that caused all kinds of problems. Most of you had Jews that really still believed in Jesus, but they still believed in the Sabbath too. And some of them thought all the Gentiles should have a Sabbath just like they did. And Paul draws the line there. He draws the line. I mean, you do not have to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. And Paul never allows the Gentile Christians to, to be somehow saddled with all of these Jewish rules about the Sabbath. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or, say it, Sabbaths. Don't let anybody condemn you for not celebrating the Sabbath. Verse 17, very important. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is the reality. That verse 17 right there, that right there is the only verse you need to know how to interpret the whole Old Testament. All of it. All of the law and all of the Ten Commandments. This verse 17 is where I'm getting what I try to preach. When I go back and read these Ten Commandments with you, we're going to apply them with this fundamental principle in mind. They are just shadows pointing forward to the real thing. And who's the real thing? Jesus. Jesus is the reality to which the commandments point. So Paul is saying here, we're not going to get into fights over the rules about the Sabbath because all of those rules are just shadows. What we have to do is not follow the Sabbath. We're not servants of the Sabbath. We're servants of Jesus. And don't let anybody condemn you and, and do not, do not, do not get into arguments about that. It's Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus. You with me? I, I, I love that. So... Um, Question number one, why are we not meeting on Saturday? I mean, let's just start there. I said that Jesus deepens and transforms it. And the first thing is that for the early Christians, they honestly began to think less and less about the seventh day and more and more about the first day. 
so the Christians from, from the very beginning thought less and less of Saturday as a day of worship and, and the day set aside. And they set aside Sunday. Why? Yeah, absolutely. Resurrection. It's resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday morning. And it seems like from that point on, I mean, literally from resurrection day forward, Christians were just drawn by the Spirit to make that their day. It's resurrection day. It's the day of a new creation, the day of a new beginning. It's the day of salvation. And so Christians from the very beginning have have understood that that Jesus is the one we worship. Jesus is the one who defines the, the, the day set aside. And so the Lord's day for us is Sunday. And that's why, and that's how far back it goes, all the way back to the very first resurrection day. Christians began to gather and celebrate and worship the risen Christ on the Lord's day on Sunday. All right, a couple of things. These are just principles to help us. Uh, My, I've said it several times throughout my ministry, I just don't ever want to see us become the church where the Pharisees win. I don't want us to be the church where the Pharisees win. I don't want to be the pastor that sometimes preaches like a Pharisee. And at times I have. At times I have related to uh, what we can and can't do on Sunday. I I have been that pastor who does that. I guess the thing is, rules help people know how to behave. And sometimes I'm not sure you people know how to behave. You know, I'm not sure that you would come to church if I didn't tell you there's a rule. And so even as a pastor, sometimes I I can, I can start leaning into the rules because you can use rules to control people, but we follow the spirit. Understand we don't follow rules. We follow the spirit. It's not the 10 commandments or the old Testament law that tells the world we belong to Jesus. It's the Holy spirit. That is the sign that we belong to Jesus. So we're different, and we're not a community around rules and laws. We're a community around the grace of Jesus. It's it's grace. I really do want you to keep coming to church, but at the same time, I I, I grew up in in a tradition where, honestly, if if you miss church, the, the pastor took attendance, and he would blister you the next Sunday. I mean, he would blister you. You would be made to feel so guilty, so ashamed of yourself if you missed some of you are still like that, and, and I, I pray I'm not that pastor, but some of you are still say, Pastor Tim, just want you to know, you know, last Sunday I had a horrible stomach virus. I would have been here. Like, like, if you've got a stomach virus, please don't come. I don't want to see you. So I know that some of us have, like I said, a real tender conscience around Sunday and what we can and can't do, but, but I don't want to be the pastor that that continues to manipulate people by rules. That, that's not how any of this is supposed to work. We're a community of salvation by grace. Honestly, and, and I'll tell you this, and I'll say, well, you probably ought to work on that. But my goal, again, reacting to sort of the pastors of my youth, my goal has not been to make you feel ashamed if you miss. My goal has been to make church so good you kick yourself if you miss. You know, like, like make it so good that, that you just hate yourself because you missed it. You know, that's always been my goal. I just want to bring a fresh word to God's people on a Sunday so at least it's worth your time. You, you know, so rather than make you feel guilty, you know, I, I would just rather try to make worship and it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit, but I just want to make our worship time something that, that, that's worth being committed to. 
So as Christians, understand this. We find spiritual rest in Christ all day, every day of the week. Now, this sounds like just a thought, but I want you to understand this is very important. When I say that the gospel of Jesus transforms the fourth commandment, this is how and this is why. Now, this principle is most clearly found in Hebrews chapter 4, but we'd have to read the whole chapter. In your small groups tonight, I want you to spend some time in Hebrews chapter 4. I really can't do it right now, but I want you to understand Hebrews chapter 4 spells out very importantly that the Sabbath principle, what the Sabbath is for is to point forward to something else and understand what it points to is Jesus It points to Jesus. And what Hebrews chapter 4 makes very, very clear is that the Sabbath rest that God wanted to bring us, most importantly, was never just, you know, a refreshed body getting ready to go back to work on Monday. What God had in mind was always so much more than you just, you know, feeling rejuvenated and ready to take on another week. What God was always doing was trying to save your soul. And the Sabbath principle teaches you that you do not save yourself by work. You do not save yourself by work. It's by resting in the very grace of Jesus. It's by resting and understand that it's nothing that you can do. It's not the labor of your hands. You understand? It's all about the grace of Jesus. And so we find spiritual rest in Christ all day, every day of the week. And so understand, that's why the early Christians sometimes completely abandoned the Jewish principle of Sabbath keeping, because they understood that the Sabbath was about something greater, something more important, and it wasn't just whether or not the preacher can mow his yard. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about spiritual rest. Read Hebrews chapter 4. It's absolutely amazing, but it transforms the way we faithfully read and apply the fourth commandment. We find spiritual rest in Christ all day, every day of the week. A couple more things. Are we done? As Christians, the Spirit directs our lives toward the Lord's Day, Sunday, as a day for rest and worshiping together. The Spirit just does that. He's always done that. Now, through the pandemic, somebody said, Pastor Tim, I discovered that I, I can catch your message on Facebook Live at home. And I just love that. I just praise the Lord for Facebook Well, I I praise the Lord for Facebook too, and God bless all of you who are gathered today online. But can I just say, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. God can absolutely work through a sermon online, but God does his best work through his people. We have to gather together, and the Spirit has always drawn Christians together, and we gather together on Sunday, and nothing takes the place of that in your life. I'm so thankful for teenagers today in God's house who were at prom last night. Man, they still got like, you know, prom dues, which is funny, and, 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 uh, and they're sleepy as everything. But I appreciate their commitment, you know. Uh, the Spirit just leads us to worship together on the Lord's Day, and I love that. He directs us toward the Lord's Day as a day for rest and worshiping together. Say another word about rest. I don't know what rest is for you. Can I tell you a secret? I, I know y'all think I'm really wanting to mow my yard. I ain't going to do it. Uh, I've really learned I'd rather just take a nap on Sunday, let the grass grow. Um, but can I tell you something? Uh, for me to mow my yard today would be the most relaxing thing in the world. It's rest for me. I don't know how to, I, don't, I think some of you get it. Like back in the day, our, our parents, our grandfathers, you know, they like dug ditches. 
There's nothing in my pastoral ministry that requires a ditch to be dug, ever. You know, I, I wish I could sling a hammer. I wish I could have a, like an electric nail gun, boom, just for any purpose, but I, I nothing. My job is mostly, you know, uh, studying. Um, I spend a lot of time with, with you all one-on-one. I spend a lot of time sitting in a chair listening to someone talk, and I, I love that ministry of pastoral counseling. I, I love that, but my job is not physical. Y'all, one day, don't tell anybody this, y'all, but one day, um, I, I love visiting like our senior ladies more than anything. I love our ladies. And senior ladies, part of what I love, I'm always cold-natured. Like, I'm always really wishing I'd worn one more layer. I'm really cold-natured. But senior ladies are fantastic because their houses are always, like, kept at 986 like, they got the thermostat, like, turned up, you know, like, you could cook biscuits on the, on, the, on the coffee table. It's just hot, and I love it. So I went to visit one of our ladies, and I'd had way too much lunch. I just ate too much, and, um, and I walked in her house, and uh, she was really happy to see me. I was happy to see her. I sat down on her couch. Her couch was really cozy, y'all, and she didn't have any lights on in the living room, and it was 98.6, and uh, so I just, I just sat there a while, and... You ever, like, I didn't even know I fell asleep until I woke up. <laughs> you ever done that? You know what I mean? Where it's like all of a sudden you're like. <laughs> and the first thing I realized was, okay, she's still talking. Like, that's good. Like, she's still talking. But I have yeah, no idea. I have no idea how long I slept. I have, I have no idea. I just know she was talking when I went to sleep and talking when I woke up. I'm really hoping we didn't plan her funeral or something while I was, while I was out. But I'm just saying, you know, I mean, t- to get out and mow, mow, to start up my lawnmower, you know, put on jeans and t-shirt and boots and put my AirPods in and just, you know, man, that's amazing. That's like nothing I do. That restores my soul. That's refreshing for me. That gets me ready to come back in, you know, for, for another week, week of work. And I'm telling you, I don't know that you get to tell me what rest is for me. And I'm not going to try to tell you. I'm not going to tell you that, that you can't go out and throw a baseball with your kids on Sunday. If that's what restores your soul, if that's refreshing to you, the Sabbath is God's gift to you. It's a gift to you. It's not a day when you're supposed to try to figure out how many rules to follow. It's a gift to you. So set it aside. Make it a priority. God wants you to have this rhythm of rest and worship and work. And as Christians, we direct that typically towards Sunday. Let me say one more thing about that, and this is where, this is the one more thing I don't think I say enough, and I'm just going to be really honest with you, and some of you may not even like what I'm about to say, but um, I understand that some people just can't do it on Sunday. I don't know that I've always understood it, and I apologize when I have heaped guilt upon people who don't have any choice in what day off they get. I'm not going to mow my yard today because, honestly, I work for a really good, you know, group. Y'all should meet them. Um, I work for you all, and y'all give me Monday off. I've got all day tomorrow to mow my yard. That's a luxury. It's a luxury. And, and I have that luxury of choosing what my day off will be, so I don't have to mow today. I'll get to it another day. But I know that a lot of people don't have that luxury. Man, your company tells you four on, four off, and they don't care what day it is. Or, or you're a nurse or someone who doesn't have a choice. You've got to work every other weekend. It's, it's not a choice for you. And, and I just think if I preach the fourth commandment in a way that heaps guilt upon people, I think I'm preaching it wrong. 
The Sabbath was created for us as, as a gift for us. And, and understand, it's just the principle of grace, and I really want us to let this sink in. God always expects you to do what you can, but not what you can't. God doesn't expect you to do what you can't do. So you got to concentrate on doing everything you can for him and everything you can do that faithfulness requires, but God never requires you to do what you can't do. So understand, I mean, take Jesus' example and take Paul's teaching and just realize that this isn't like you know, some sort of rule where, where you've got to follow it in such and such a way or you're doing it all wrong. Just follow the Spirit, be faithful to the Lord. Had a high school girl, grew up in our church, always in church. I mean, she was a very, very faithful girl who was a great athlete, got a scholarship at a Catholic university. And so she was on the team, right? And she w w went to school. And the very first week, she realized that, number one, everybody in her school is Catholic. And the whole team goes to Mass on Saturday night, and then they practice on Sunday morning. And, and this girl, very faithful girl from our church, she's like, Pastor Tim, I don't know what to do. I, I, I can't go to church on Sunday because I have to practice. I can't lose my scholarship. And they all are, are Christian girls, but they go to church on Saturday, and, and I don't know what to do. I'm just like, you know, girl, <laughs> I guarantee you there's a church up there that's having Sunday night worship. You know, go on Sunday night. I mean, our church, we have Wednesday night worship for all the folks who can't get here on Sunday, you can't work, can't get off. You know, we have Wednesday night service. Wednesday night's my best service of the whole week. I mean, I love Wednesday nights more than anything else. I mean, you've just got freedom in Christ and, and, and grace and I don't think we say that enough. I don't think we say it enough at all. I've been really hard on the travel ball families, you know, who take off, you know, for an entire season of the year. And sometimes I've, I've preached a lot of guilt on, on our families. Now, let me quickly say why I do that. Honestly, I, I'm not proud of this, but for a lot of our families, coming to church on Sunday is all they do. Like, that's your whole spiritual life. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. But that's how it is. And so when I see you take your kids out, you know, of, of, of church for weeks, for months, I, I worry because, because not every family is, is actually, a, not every family that goes to church actually is a Christian family. I talked to a man last year whose family was falling apart and he said, is it possible, Pastor Tim, that a Christian man and a Christian woman can get married and yet never have a Christian marriage? And I said, Yes. I mean, if you don't pray together, if you're not having spiritual conversations, if you're never in the Word together, then you're not a Christian family. It's not a Christian marriage. You're just a worldly family that goes to church. You understand what I'm saying? And so if you take the church out of the picture, I worry about your kids. I mean, because it's the parent's job to disciple it's your job to raise them in the Lord, but, but, it, but if you lead them out and, and then you're not doing it, I just worry. So, so that's why I sometimes light my hair on fire with the families that disappear. But, but can I say this? We got some awesome families in this church. We got some families that love the Lord and they live a life of disciples together. Seven days a week, everywhere they go, mom and dad are, are discipling their kids and the kids are raised to know the Lord and to know the word. And you know what? If you put a family like that on the road with a travel ball team, I say we commission them as missionaries. Let them go. Let them go. They may miss a few Sundays, but what if they go to the travel ball you know, group, and what if they lead worship in the motel every Sunday morning before they play? I mean, you know, there's such a thing as living out the gospel. 
And that's what we're called to do. Live out the gospel. And I know a lot of people just want to live out the Ten Commandments as if you were given that option, but that's not your option. You were called to live for Jesus, to follow him, and to live out the gospel in every way that you can every single day of the week. And I just remind you, God expects you to do what you can, not what you can't. But part of what he expects is for you to live your life before him with a kind of order, a logic that, that comes from him, you, you got to set aside a day for, for rest and worship, and you have to commit yourself to work the rest of the time. And It's just the way God intends you to live your life in Jesus by the Spirit, lots of grace and freedom. After all, it's got nothing to do with my work and your work. It's what Jesus has done for us called grace. Pray with me. God, they're the most simple principles in the world, rest and work and worship, Lord, and somehow we foul it up. The whole idea of grace, Lord, that there's nothing we have to earn or do or prove, Lord, we, we foul that up too. We just don't seem capable of really understanding that we don't have anything to offer you. That everything necessary for our salvation is something that you purchase, that's something that you do for us, that we rest in grace. So Lord Jesus, today, help us to love you and to follow your spirit in all the ways you move us to live. We just beg you to order our lives and help us to surrender to your command. And at the same time, help us to believe you when you can simply release us to live by grace. Help us, Lord, not to keep running back to the rules, running back to the law. Lord Jesus, help us just to continue to run to you, to live by grace and gratitude, and to allow others to live lives of grace and gratitude as well. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.